and I'm very happy to be joined by Matt Moore of the Action Network at HP Basketball on Twitter. Matt, how are you doing? Good, man. How are you? I've been all right. I've been all right. So the last time you were on the show, we were previewing the Rockets-Lakers series from the bubble. And huh. I kind of wanted to start there because a few months after that they lost that series, the wheels kind of came off. Yeah. And they were forced to rebuild. Rafael Stone takes over for Daryl Morey in October of 2020. Russell Westbrook and James Harden demand trades shortly thereafter. It's now September of 2022. We're basically two years into the rebuild. And I really wanted to get your perspective on how things have gone and how the Rockets have approached some of these major decisions. Um, let's start with like phase zero of the rebuild, which is basically when they had to trade Westbrook and Harden. But more specifically, I want to ask about the Harden trade. When you look back on it, how do you think Stone handled those first three months? And do you believe they took the right package for Harden? I do. I think Stone did you know, the best he could. I think Stone was fortunate in that these, when you're in a position where the star player asks out, you lose value when they want to go to a team and they'll only go to that team and that team doesn't have the assets. Right. Like if Donovan Mitchell had really squeezed and been like, I only want to go to the Knicks. I don't want to go anywhere else. If you trade me anywhere else, be aware other GMs. I'm not going to be happy. I'm going to want out. Then that makes the other teams be like, I don't really want a guy that doesn't want to be here. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want your headache. You know, I don't want to trade for your headache. So I think they lucked out in that the Nets were basically willing to do whatever to make Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving happy. And they had all these assets. And so they were able to trade. And I thought they got a really great package in return. You know, um, when I wondered, you can talk about some of the other assets that got traded in that deal, the other pieces that were moved and whether you would have had them. But ultimately, I think everything worked out the way that it needed to. I think Stone did a good job with that situation. Do I think that ultimately... Do I think that Harden had to be traded? Um, I mean, he had to be traded given his behavior. Do I think that that was the only way that was ever going to go? No. I tend to look at ownership. Like, I just do. That's based off of talking to people around the league as well as just putting pieces together. Tillman takes over and a lot of stuff changes. Like, it just... There was a lot of, of breadcrumbs along the way. So, like, did the Harden era necessarily have to end? I don't think so. I don't think, like the time had come. I don't think they were in a position of, well, it's just, you know, things were stale. They needed to move on. I think ownership exacerbated that situation. Uh, I think the Daryl Morey situation between him and Fertitta, that was a large part of it. It's pretty obvious that Harden still trust Morey. That's, that's pretty apparent. And so that I think was where things started to break down. However, if we look at, at zero from after Daryl left, I think the job that the front office has done has been really good. They've kept the G League pipeline very strong. They've drafted very well. They've um, managed their assets the way that they need to. I think ultimately Stones did a good job with what was a pretty bad hand that he was given in making that into the best that he could. Yeah, putting that genie back in the bottle when the star player demands a trade is extremely difficult to do. It's only happened like... Right. three times in the last 20 years or so, yeah. right? It almost never happens. Last time it happened was Kevin Durant, and we were all surprised that they managed to pull that off. And I, I largely 100% agree with you. Like, I, I think one, it was kind of a domino effect, right? Tillman takes over, and things just slowly kind of erode, right? Like, from top down, like, people just start leaving the organization. Uh, Mike D'Antoni yeah. leaves, then Daryl Morey leaves, and then Tad James Brown. Harden, who was super tight. Yeah, Tad Brown, of course. Jet, James Harden was super tight to both Daryl and Mike. Um, and you know, Tad. he's looking around like, yeah, and Tad. But I, I think Tad actually happened after Harden um, yeah. left. Yeah. So, like, you know, he sees that and he's like, well, this is not what I signed up for. Right? This is not what I signed these extensions, these multiple extensions to be with. So I think, yeah, I want I agree. Like, that was definitely something I think you could attribute to ownership. Um, and I think, you know, I, I would have done the Karis LeVert over Vic over the Oladipo over Karis Levert thing differently. But in the end, when you look at it, like, you know, that netted the Cleveland, the Cavs, like one first round pick and a really good second. So they lost out on a first and a good second. And on the whole, when you look at what else they got in that pick, yeah. in that trade, I don't think that's, that's too much. Like no. I, I, you can say, you can, that's fine. That's fine. 
Um, yeah, other than, I, other than that, I agree. This is the right move. And I kind of want to shift to after that season. So they finish with the worst record in basketball. They get the number two overall pick. And they're faced with what I believe is like their their second big tough decision, which is Evan Mobley versus Jalen Green. And I've said before that I, I while I liked Green, and I still like Green, I would have taken Mobley there, but I understood the rationale in taking Green. Um, now it's only been one year, but when you look at Jalen's rookie season and compare it to all the guys who are available at number two, more specifically Mobley and Scotty Barnes. I, I'm, I am curious to you know ask you like, did Houston make the right call in your opinion? And B, like, what are your feelings on Green as a star prospect long term? So I did a ton of a film on Jalen uh, in the last month. I've I've went through and watched a ton of his possessions, and there's a lot to like there. Like, there's a lot of like shot making and. Um, facilitating the offense the improvement year over year was really high there's a, a lot of things that he improved at uh drawing fouls actually i think he's got a lot of upside in that category of being able to actually get to the line more i, I have to be honest i think evan mobley's a transcendent player i think evan mobley's going to be the best player from this class i think evan mobley's going to be one of the best players that we've seen drafted over the last 10, 15 years. I think Scotty Barnes is a good example of how Toronto is exceptional at what they do because everyone was like, Oh, it's going to be sucked. It's gotta be sucked. Suggs is clearly the fourth best. And the Raptors did not make it a secret. Like I heard consistently that they like Scotty Barnes. They believed in Scotty Barnes and Scotty Barnes wins rookie of the year and looks awesome. I I'm not as high on Barnes, even after winning rookie of the year as I am on Mobley <clears throat> for a lot of reasons. I think Mobley is a foundational piece. I, I kind of wonder if Jalen Green is a foundational piece or not. I think he can be a really good player. I think he can be an all-star caliber player, but there's a wide range between all-star and foundational. We have a lot of guys that are picked for all-star and a lot of guys that make all-NBA, and not all of them are guys that you would describe as foundational, build your entire ecosystem around them. Like I made a casual comment before I did the film. Uh, I made a casual comment that I kind of thought that, that Jabari Smith would end up being the best player of between the two. And there was Rockets fans that were like, what, how can you possibly say that? And I was like, I don't, we haven't seen him play yet. So I don't know how you can really say it either way. I, I don't look, I have, I have a lot of concerns about Jalen in terms of sometimes a shot selection. I have a lot of concerns about Jalen in terms of him orchestrating an offense, trying to find a role, trying to find a fit, what he's going to do. He's also young. Like, I don't want to sit here and say, like, they made the wrong choice and they're going to regret it forever. I just wind up leaning a lot towards Mobley. I think in the spot that they were in, either choice, you could just, like, at the... I also want to be clear on this. I'm not big on the who should they have drafted because, I'm like, you do the best you can with the information that you got. And Jalen was exceptionally highly regarded. Now... A lot of people I talked to before that draft that are smarter than me at the draft said that they thought Evan Mobley was the best player in the draft. That was a, a there was a lot of conversation about Evan Mobley being the best player in the draft. So should they have known that? I think it was close enough to say they did the best information with what they could. It could still work out. Jalen could wind up being better. Right now, do I think that they would have been better off taking Mobley? Yes, I do. That doesn't mean that I'm like they're going to rue this day forever. There's a lot to, to go in between. Yeah, it's hard not to look at Jalen and think, oh, that's, that guy's like real, real all-star potential there, right? And then you look at Evan Mobley, it's like, Christ, this guy could be like Kevin Garnett defensively. Like, he is amazing. And if he's that, it's like almost every other choice ends up being wrong and to an unfair extent sometimes, right? Because Mobley, right. it wasn't like Mobley was like the consensus number one. That was Cade. No. Right. And yeah, I, mean, yeah. I will say that there were, there was like, a, a va- the majority said that it was Cade. The, the people that believed in Mobley were convinced he was like the number one guy. Right. That it was like the number one guy. So I don't want to say that it was like everyone knew that Mobley, it wasn't like a Lucas situation where everyone's like, what are you doing? Like, just take the EuroLeague MVP. Just, just take Luka Doncic. What are you doing? It wasn't like that. I I will say that I didn't run into a lot of people that were like, Jalen Green's going to be the best player in this class. And I heard that about at least Mobley and Cade. Didn't hear about Barnes. 
heard it a little bit about Suggs, but not a lot by the end of the draft. By the time everyone had gotten through the scouting, I don't think that people were there. Nobody, everyone was like, really? The Raptors, the Raptors really? Gonna take it? I mean, we like him, but really Scotty Barnes? And then he wins rookie of the year. So it, it's another case of some, when you know, you look like a genius. And when you, you take the, the Rockets took what I think was the safest pick at number two, like Jalen was highly regarded, lots of skills. I thought he was going to win rookie of the year. I bet him to win rookie of the year. I thought he was going to put up a ton of points. Like it was surprising me that he struggled as much as he did early. And it's promising that he was able to work his way out of that, given how tough everything about that season was and his own individual performance. The fact that he was able to settle down and improve as this year went on, I think is significant and bodes well for his future. Yeah. And the verbiage you use to describe kind of the difference between like being a building block type piece, right? which can be an all-star. And the building block type piece, right? Which is like yeah. everything you build your franchise around is pretty key. It's, I, I, I agree with that. That's kind of how I view Jalen Green. Like I, I look at the Rockets, I'm like, I don't think they have that guy yet. No. Right. I think they have a lot of supporting cast guys, a lot of guys who can be complimentary stars, right? right? Which is a weird word to use. How can, how can someone be a star and still be complimentary? But I think that's kind of how I view Jalen Green. I, I think yeah. he's kind of like a Devin Booker type, you know, and I, that Devin Booker is really good. Right, you'd love to have Devin Booker on your team. I don't think you can build a championship nucleus around just Devin Booker. Right. Yeah, I think that's 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 a fair point. I think when you you need to mention complimentary star, I think a very good comparison of this is like Chris Middleton, who has had all NBA caliber seasons, who has been phenomenal, who is the second best player on a championship team. Like if Jalen Green became Chris Middleton, that's awesome. Like that level of player, that's really awesome. That's a guy you can win with. That's a guy that you need because if you have the number one guy, your next question is going to be, how do we get the Chris Middleton? If you get the Giannis, you're going to be like, how do we get the Chris Middleton? You know, if you get the Steph Curry, it's how do you get the Draymond Green or Clay Thompson, those types of things. So I, I think having those guys is good. And it's very possible that Scoot Henderson could wind up being that guy or Victor Wembanyama. It's possible that they could get this year. And it's, I don't want to rule out that Jabari Smith could be that guy either. I didn't love what I saw at summer league, but and I have concerns about how much he's going to need good guard play. I think it's it would be an exceptional outcome for Jabari to be better than Paolo Bancaro and Chet Holmgren. It wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. That's he was considered to be the number one pick until draft night. There, the scouts I talked to were very high on Jabari Smith above everybody else. In January and February and in March, and it really wasn't until I think late in the draft process in April and May that Paolo Bancaro and, and Holmgren, well, that Paolo Bancaro got above him. I think that the Thunder were locked into Holmgren for, for months. So uh, Jabari Smith was of that caliber, and if he develops the way he needs to, there's a lot of chance, there's a high chance he could be that guy. We don't always see that guy coming. And so that that possibility is definitely there. I will say that I like the unknown. Fa- I, that's maybe the best way to put it. I, I have a lot more confidence in the unknown factor of Jabari Smith than the known quality of Jalen Green to be the number one guy. Yeah, and that's kind of why I think you described Jalen as kind of the safe pick at number two, right? Like he he was the easiest guy to like. Okay, yeah, this guy's gonna be an all star. It's it's just a matter of like you know, whether or not the Rockets are passing up on someone that could be a superstar. Right. Uh, like he, he was the safe option in that respect. Um, and, and we'll get to Jabari in a moment. But another big decision the Rockets made in the 2021 draft is trading for Alperen Shangun. And Shangun, for, for what limited national profile he has, is a polarizing NBA prospect. Yeah. Um, he, he's been that way ever since he was drafted. People either think he's going to be a star or they think he's going to be like the second coming of Enos Cantor on defense. There doesn't seem to be a lot of middle ground there. Uh, I'm guilty of it too. I really buy into the star upside, and I think he's going to have a big year, uh, a lot because of what Houston did this offseason. I noticed you recently tweeted about Shangun's defensive metrics, and I know in the past when you've done stuff like that, there's usually like an article coming down the pipeline, and that article hasn't come yet, or you know maybe it's coming. I don't know. So I am curious where you stand on him and his upside of the NBA, and like, are you a Shangun guy more broadly? Boy, that's a. Hmm. I will tell you this. I think he is being asked to do too much this season. Hmm. I think. Let's start with the offense. Okay. 
I think that he has the instincts to make he wants to make high level plays like the Manas Abonis and Nikola Jokic. And I'm not just comparing them because those are gangly white centers from Europe. This play style, he makes a lot of plays that remind me of both of those players. The problem is that to make those plays efficiently, you need to be about two seconds ahead of the defense in terms of like how you're planning these things. Maybe let's put it in milliseconds, right? It's like 0.9 milliseconds. He's like 0.4 milliseconds late, which is why the turnovers were there. I don't know whether the repetition of doing it a lot, especially with this roster, is going to lead to the outcomes that you would want. Because what I saw a lot was like, oh, that's a really sharp pass that he tried to make way too late that the defense was very easily able to convert into a turnover. Um, The shooting is also a concern. If you're not going to have a strong inside presence to be able to finish, you probably need to have a high level of touch. And when I went back and watched all of his possessions and looked at the metrics, that didn't really stand out. It's like, if you ask him to be the hub of this offense, which is kind of like, that's the idea, right? Is that, all right, you have these really good scoring weapons and Alperin Shagoon could be like the, the, the hub of the offense. I don't know that he's as good as he needs to be just because he has enough of a mindset to do it. Like he can do it. But the skill curve there is very high. I it's possible that just with if internal development, like I loved what I've seen from him in Eurobasket, I think he's been good. It's possible the internal development gets him there. I did. I will tell you, I did not expect to end up going through all this and being like, "Wow, I'm really higher on Alperen Sengun's defense than compared to where I was than his offense." That was not the result. The bad stuff is pretty obvious. If a guy has a size advantage on him, and by that I mean he has any muscle whatsoever, and the guy just attacks him, he does get put under the basket a fair amount. He just gets attacked. But it was shocking to me when I started looking at the different types of coverages. If you tell him to switch, he's actually really good. He does a really good job of hanging with the guards. The numbers were there, and I was like, that's absurd. Let's actually see who, like, how this was. It's pretty decent. He has good footwork. He manages, he's got great recognition of weak side blocks and catching guys from behind. His anticipation on blocks is maybe my favorite thing about him overall, more than any of the offensive stuff. And so I actually think as a secondary shot blocker and in more aggressive defensive schemes, he can be successful. I think the problem is the safe thing to do, especially with a young team that doesn't know a lot, is, okay, we're just going to run drop in pick and roll situations. I, I think that Shingun is particularly vulnerable in those because the guards get ahead of steam to knock him back off of his position. And the bigs, meanwhile, are so big and physical, he can't really contain on the lob either. So that puts him in a really tough position. If you give him a more aggressive style of attack, if it's, all right, try and limit this uh, limit perimeter penetration, I actually think Alperin Shingun has a lot of upside. I think he could actually be pretty good there, even as he gains weight and strength and slows down a little bit because he's going to need to for the NBA. I still think he's got good footwork, good anticipation. I love his blocked instincts. I, I will say that the offensive stuff, it's not, I, I'm, I'm not trying to like make this out to be like Alperin Shingun is bad offensively because that's not true. But the numbers are not necessarily as strong as you might want. Like the 4.5 assists per 36 is a really good number for him. And it's one of the reasons I was like, hey, should this guy get more rookie of the year buzz? But he's got a 4.5 assists per 36 minutes to 3.5 turnovers. Like the if 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 he comes into the season and it's like, no, 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 he just needed the game to slow down. And everything slows down, and the offense has, I don't know, any structure whatsoever, because good God, that offense has no structure. But if the offense has more structure, I think Alperin Shingun can have a really good season, but these are all ifs and not things I can count on right now. How much of the turnovers last year could you attribute to like the terrible floor spacing Houston had last? Like they 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 were really like struggling to find capable so, shooters to put around him. I looked at that at those lineups that were rough, right? Very specifically, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think some of the, the bench units probably did mess that up. But even when he was running with guys like Eric Gordon, and even when he was running with uh, DJ Augustine, who I thought did a very good job last year in terms of what they just needed him to do, 
I still saw a lot of the same stuff. It was he catches the ball on a short roll, does a nice spin move, but he telegraphs it so obviously that instead of like he, that's a spot where he's just got to go up. Like his shot blocker is, and it's not just Rudy Gobert; it's other guys. Like Clint Capella did this to him once, where it was like he would. I think it was Capella, maybe not. Um, the defender was basically like he wasn't he wasn't jumping, like he wasn't worried about Shangun going up with it. He'd read the scouting report and he was like, he's gonna he's gonna try and dish this off to the weak side cutter, and he just reaches his hand out and intercepts it. It's that kind of stuff that maybe if the Rockets get better at their execution, like that's an area where I don't know. Like maybe if I, I honestly do not know that because I'm not an NBA coach. Like if the Rockets improve in terms of one the outside perimeter threat and two how good their cutters are in terms of the timing, maybe Shingu makes that pass faster and it winds up being completed or or uh, you know uh, transition into a, into a bucket. But when I watched it, my impression was still very much that good idea gonna have to be a little bit sharper if you're gonna get past defenses that are not completely napping on you yeah the the scouting definitely caught up to him last year he was one of those rare rookies where like he started the season and like defenses just didn't know what to do with him partly because i don't think they ever knew they never knew what he was like i don't think they actually yeah and they they figured him out to some extent as the season went along and you know his numbers dipped and you know, I, I think I think some of that is going to be really on him to develop, obviously, some counters there. And some also, of that he does have in the footwork, right? So go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, he he, the footwork's amazing. Like he right. has, he has really good footwork. He has really good stability. Like all these things are, I think, are excellent. I think a good way to, I'll say this: like the Rockets did him a, a disservice last year. Why is he not like the fact that he didn't get more minutes really is criminal. Yeah. Like, it, it just really is. Regardless of, of, of how I feel about him in terms because like, this is the thing. The only way he if you're gonna have him do this stuff, the only way for him to get better is he's gonna do it over and over and over again. If you're gonna make complex reads with a young team, you have to have like you gotta get you just have to deal with the growing pains. If you ask me, and this leads to a central question, which is just, if you ask me my biggest question mark on the Rockets, even more than my concern Jalen Green as the backcourt, even more than my concern about Alperen Sengun as the offensive hub, my number one concern is Silas. Because decisions like that are where I'm just like, I can't think of a re- unless the kid was just a real pain in the ass in the locker room, which is the exact opposite of what everyone has ever said about Alperin Shangun, it doesn't make any sense to have taken the approach that they did with him. Yeah, and it was so strange because I remember going to training camp in Galveston and like they saw him like in these scrimmages, like just surprise him. They were like, oh my God. Like the, I, I think there was a part of Silas that was like, he's definitely going to be in the G League, so I don't have to think about him. And then he he goes off in these scrimmages in training camp and summer league and preseason and all that, and he secures a roster spot. And it's like he's almost forced to keep playing him, right? Even though he doesn't really want to. And then he keeps he, he doesn't really put him in optimal positions. He's putting him next to like plotting bigs like Daniel Tice and Christian Wood. And it's like that's not that's not what you do with Elper and Shigan. You play him at center and you put a floor spacing four next to him. Right. And they never seem to get that. And I, I, I am curious to see like what they do with him next year because it seems like they want to start Jay Sean Tate, and it's like I'm not sure if that's the best idea. I, you have you have Eric Gordon start Eric Gordon, and you have Jabari Smith Jr. He's a four. You can't play him at three. And I think if you play a, a, a front court where there's at least one guy who can't shoot, you're doing him a disservice. Uh, and uh, you know you mentioned the shooting. I think he can get to a point where he's like 34 to 35% on catch and shoots. He just needs to be more confident about it. He just was not taking them. Like when he would get, he would get the ball, be completely wide open and just pass them up. He right. seems to lack confidence there. Uh, now I will say what he's doing in Eurobasket is like crazy. He's taking like yeah. one, one legged fadeaway twos. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think he can shoot. I can think, I think he's definitely has some touch and you see that in other areas of his game. Right. He, he has to translate that to the three his, the defense. His, Sorry, a lot of it. Yeah. And a lot of it too is like, if he catches and just pops up a floater, I think he mm-hmm. can hit those consistently. I think, um, 
him as a short roll weapon is really valuable. And again, this is this is about like the overall roster construct is when I watch, I notice a lot of KPJ and Jalen green, both not necessarily wanting to make the short roll read, which makes sense because they're young. And that's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a higher read sometimes. And you're, you're thinking, okay, they're overloading this side. Let's reverse it to the other side. Let's try and reverse the ball completely to get the action. And that may be a directive from Silas too. I don't know. Either way, like those are worse passes. I think um, in some instances, they like KBJ's targeting was actually pretty good, but Jalen struggled with those versus letting getting Shangun into the middle of the floor open, I think is really important. Like, I think he's going to be able to do real damage there because that's an area the defense is going to give you. And if you punish them, that forces adjustment and that opens up the backside for those cutters and those type of plays that he wants to make. Like, that was kind of it is, is he didn't, he honestly, he tried to make too many plays <laughs> instead of. Sometimes it's like, you know, you're, if they're not going to, you're a pretty reliable, if you're open, if you're not contested, you're a pretty reliable short range shooter. You're pretty like the numbers are really good on it. So it's just like, just catch and shoot and fire those up versus some of the other stuff. I mean, you know, you look at, at, at some of the numbers for him, like his pull-ups on twos, 27%, that's rough, right? Like if he's dribbling, that's an issue, but on catch and shoot two pointers, it's 50%. That's great efficiency. So that that I think is some of it less than 10 feet at 56%. That's awesome. So he has like, I think all these capabilities to do more, but this is kind of the question though, is, you know, is he a weapon to be used in tandem with others or is he a hub? Because right now it feels very much going into the season. Like the idea is, well, KBJ and Jalen are still a little wild. So maybe like the best way to use Alperin Shangun is for him to be the hub. And that's where I start to be like, I, don't know if he's on Sabonis and Jokic's level in terms of ceiling, talent, or right now. And if it's not, then that's not the best way to use him. If I'm wrong, we'll know pretty early. And then I'll be I'll reassess from there. It wouldn't I wouldn't be like, whoa, never saw Alperin Shangun doing this. It's clear that he has the mindset to do it and the footwork that you talked about and the skills it's putting all of that into one, a mindset that understands and can control the game the way that they do. And then on top of it too, is getting the rest of the team to understand how to play that as well, which is also a challenge. Yeah. You mentioned the Jokic comparisons. The Rockets were like throwing that out unprompted, like all the time last year. And it made me a little, it made me a little nervous. I was like, you know, maybe not put that on him, you know, like maybe just like, just have him be Shangun and like, you know, he'll figure out a ceiling thereafter. And I was in one area of his game that is kind of like Jokic and is the audaciousness of just everything that he does. Like you mentioned yeah. the spin moves, like big man doing spin moves in the paint is so risky. Like you're just asking to get swiped and stolen the ball from and he would do it and you would know, you know, the ball was going to be secure because he, he was that good of a ball handler. He would keep the ball secure and he'd managed to create something finicky out of it and it was awkward it was weird but it worked and he would do all these weird dribble moves like he would you know all the behind the back passes all the you know that that area of his game i think does remind me of him and i do want to see him at least operate as a hub for second units right like at least i want to see that at least for spurts next season because like the rockets have all the pieces for him to like actually thrive in that role because all of their star prospects are like complementary star prospects guys who would theoretically be really well suited to play around him like Jalen Green is a willing and able cutter right I think if if he is if he's the guy you want to put next to him and if he is that level of hub kind of guy that you're talking about that's perfect Jabari Smith Jr. is exactly the kind of three and d forward you want to put next to him he will space the floor sometimes two feet behind the three-point line and that will create so much open space for him to actually operate in the middle. So I do, I just want to see them try it at least for second units. I actually don't think they're going to give the ball to him and like, you know, kind of what you're talking about right now and like, just let him go. I would like that. I would like that for them to do that just because if he fails, we'll know he failed. And if, if he doesn't like, I mean, it's just more data. There's no, there's no, there's nothing wrong with the added data and knowing whether or not he's going to be that guy. He's already overperformed his draft position. So it's not like the Rockets are losing anything. I think this is a good example of, of, of kind of where he's at, right? So 39 players last season had 100 post-ups logged by Synergy, and Synergy's 
blogging it can be debated sometimes, but 100 post-ups per synergy. Post-ups are pretty clear sometimes. Um, he had the fourth highest turnover rate at 17.9%. That's a pretty high number. And I will say that, you know, you kind of mentioned, like, you can feel confident about him keeping the ball. I, I would push back on that a little bit only because sometimes he would expect the help defenders to react differently just because again, I think he's learning. He's learning a lot of, of how those go guys definitely picked on him with the physicality, a guys that read that, that came in, like they thought they could bully him and they did to a certain extent. What was funny again is I, I think like on, on the interior and rebound, like the areas where we thought he would get bullied. I don't think he did. And so I think that there's a, a lot of room for him to improve on this. It's kind of um, like Chet, like right with the anticipation yeah. for the blocks and steals, right? Yeah, that's a that's a good comparison. Really, the his again, I love his hands. I love his defensive instincts, which I was not expecting when I went into the film work. I was like, okay, see how bad he is, and then I was like, you know, look, he gets <laughs> trucked, but he's you know he's young. This is fine. Like this is there's a lot of good stuff here, especially if you put him in the right scheme. Because I'm all, I'm just of the mindset of like it's not Alperin Shangun's fault that the guards need to play a safer scheme because they can't get over because they can't handle their own stuff, right? It's like that's not it's not any more his fault than it is theirs for him having defensive weaknesses. Just because you can hide guards better doesn't mean that it's Alperin Shangun's fault. Um, so I I think that the offensive stuff is going to be very interesting in in regards to. I honestly would like to see him if he can get the finishing up is going to be a big deal because the finishing through contact down low was rough. Like when he was trying to finish underneath, it was oftentimes uh, like it, it was an ugly watch and the numbers kind of back that up. Like he has really good touch around the rim if he's not getting muscled, but when he's getting muscled, I think that that really throws him off of his game. And so he winds up struggling in that aspect. So, um, that's an area that, again, I think there's there's all these areas where he can improve, and I'm not like I'm not of the belief that he can't improve there. Just that it's going to have to be a real focus for him. And I think you're seeing this; like he, he's bigger, he's he's adding things. All those types of things are are happening. And so, if he can just improve in some of those areas, I think he'll be in a really good spot. Yeah, and it's it's strange it's strange how like you watch him uh with at the bsl and he was much bigger than he, what he is right now like he, he came into the season like felt like he he was so much thinner than yeah. what he was as a prospect which is kind of the opposite of what you usually expect and um you know i i think i think it would actually benefit him to actually kind of gain some more weight so he, yes. he isn't getting bullied as much you know he's six nine he's already he's already giving up a size advantage there's no reason to give up a weight advantage as well um yeah i, I does it help does, does it easier concerns that the Rockets have surrounded him with kind of athletes defensively. Yeah. Keeping Jay Sean Tate was a big deal. I'm very high on Jay Sean Tate. I think I'm expecting defensive improvement from Houston this season. Does that mean that I think that they're going to be top 20? Probably not. Right. I don't think that they're going to be able to make that leap, but if they're 29th over at dunks and threes.com with their adjusted defensive rating, can they get a 23rd, 22nd, 21st, maybe a 20th if they can get the offense more structured then yeah this is this stuff's tied right you can't always be running back in mid transition because you're turning the ball over or off of long rebounds because your guy shot it with 18 left on the shot clock and so your bigs are now trying to pivot and return and get back on the other direction without knowing that the shot's going up like so much of this is just if you if you have structure you can play fast but if you have structure and everybody's on the same page, that's going to make the defensive side a lot easier. You can program for a lot of this, and you also probably need to, you know, I think the athletes is important. Jabari looks really good on that end. It looks like he's going to be really talented in that. Having two bigs that I think that you can experiment a little bit with switching is something that I think they should look at. I don't think that they should play conservative. I think they should be very aggressive and say, okay, we have better shot blocking than people are going to, going to expect. I think a lot of it is taking the approach that the, the Dallas Mavericks did last season. The Mavericks played so aggressively to the edge. They weren't blitzing the way they did in Jason Kidd's time in Milwaukee. That'll get you cooked. You can't blitz consistently. The passing is too good in the NBA, especially 
the type of passers that they're going to face night by night. But if you play aggressively and you're just like, look, let's make them make plays at the rim. Let's, let's trust in Jabari and Alperin to make rotations and challenge things. Let's make them beat us on the edge instead of giving them space, make them get downhill and let's challenge them there. That's where the, that's what the talent to me at least and the numbers say that they can have the most success at. I just don't know if that's going to be the game plan or not. And so that's a, a reason for me to be, you know, and again, a lot of this is about incremental improvement. I don't think they need to be 20th. I don't think it's like, oh, they're, it's a failure if they don't win 35 games and compete for a playing spot. No, just, just get yourself somewhere you were one of the worst teams in the league. And even if you want to tank the back half of the year, just show like, no, 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 we're, we're headed in the right. We lost, but we knew what we were doing. We looked like we made sense on the court. If you can get there, it's a very successful season, I think, for Houston. So the Rockets have reportedly turned down multiple offers for Eric Gordon that would have netted them back a first-round pick. And it seems like they believe they can get something back that's more than your boilerplate like late first-round pick. And like they're holding out for a deal that gets them that without jeopardizing future cap flexibility, which is really difficult to do. From your perspective, like what is Gordon's league-wide market value, and will Houston indeed be able to get more than like a late first? It's a good question. Based off of what I've heard from talking to people, uh, I think there were offers that I was surprised that they did not take for Gordon, including the ones that you mentioned. Like they've, I heard consistently that those first rounders, those late first, were were in the air. I'm not sure if it's a matter. Sometimes teams, especially teams that are analytically forward, will they will kind of actually put a number on it. Like, Hey, we're not taking anything below this. You know, any, any pick beyond this point is not like, he's still worth this. And that gets reevaluated every year, right? Cause Eric keeps getting older. I think a lot of this is also Eric's sense. Like if Eric's like, Hey, I, I want to go. It's, it's time. I'm ready. I'm ready to move on. Then that I think accelerates the timeline a little bit. Uh, I, everyone kind of expects him to wind up in, in, in Philly for obvious reasons. I don't know that the assets are going to be attractive to Houston, there's also the possibility. I think one of the things that's happened is that there is really a sense of eventually someone's going to get to the point where they're like, we need Eric Gordon. Like Eric Gordon is the type of player that we are supposed to get. He's on the market and he's available. And that happens. You have more leverage versus, yeah, no, we can use a vet that can shoot and run the floor. Yeah. Uh, that'd be good. Right. We'll offer you like, you know, late first instead of we need this. We are in a bind, whether by injury or the season didn't start right, or somebody's taking a regression, or there's a locker, whatever the, the the thing that happens throughout the course of the season. I've also heard this a lot from various GMs of, well, we're gonna wait, you know, when once you get into November and teams see that everybody likes their team now, but once we get to November, they'll they'll see and then they'll start to get a little bit more aggressive. And what that means is desperate. I don't necessarily see that happening a lot because they all realize that they're waiting for the others to do that. So there is always this never show weakness. Don't don't make a trade out of desperation. And so I, I do kind of wonder if that's an overestimation. But ultimately, uh, it also may be a matter of what Eric wants to. He's been with the organization a long time. He has goodwill. And they want to take care of him. If he's like, I don't really want to go there for whatever reason, that, that matters too. So it's going to have to be the right fit, the right time. That's why I think everyone kind of expects Philly to, to be the winding up destination. If they don't wind up getting a great pick for him, I think it's fine just because was it good to have him around last year? Yeah. Like it was good to have somebody, somebody that could actually play basketball that knew how to play play in the NBA last season, I think was helpful for them. Having those guys around does help. And so I think that you did, he wasn't just sitting around. It wasn't like a John wall situation where he's just eating up the books, but I'm a little skeptical of if they get a great return, it's because somebody really got in their head that it was like, this is the guy that's going to put us over the top. And I don't have necessarily a team, especially after the Celtics got Malcolm Brogdon. I don't have a team that would look at it from that perspective. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think they're probably going to end up having to take a, you know, a late first round pick or, you know, maybe even like mid first round pick at best. Uh, And if they, if they get something better, I I suspect they're going to have to sacrifice future cap flexibility. And I do think it's interesting, you know, they, they, kept Sterling Brown, Trey Burke, Marquise Chris, 
and Boban on still on the roster, and they're sitting at 18 spots. And I f- kind of feel like they might be holding out for a consolidation trade. Like if a big consolidation trade comes on the market, because they still have David Nwaba there, who's also not going to play next season. So right. it, it almost feels like they're waiting for a team to get really desperate. Like, let's just say the Lakers, right? Like they get really desperate. They're like, we need, we need to go amend this Russell Westbrook situation and we need to get as the best possible swath of role players we can, right? And, you know, maybe they don't like the Pacers package. They turn to Houston and say, can you give us KJ Martin, Eric Gordon, David Nwaba, and like all these Dallas guys, right? But I feel like that's probably what they're why they haven't waived these guys. But I don't think they're good. You know, a team like the Lakers are going to be desperate enough to do that. Well, then again, it's the Lakers, so I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, you might be onto something. Uh, I don't have any. I don't have any like intel on that side. I would say that oftentimes this does wind up being a lot of just everyone's on vacation, right? Like the GMs and everyone kind of does take a break in, in August and, and gets out. And then September people start rolling in and, and there'll be talks with agents about what guys want and who's going where, and they might try and, you know, find one off situations for them. Uh, I don't have the books in front of me, so I don't know what their specific contract, you know, liabilities are. Um, the Lakers are tough because a, a trade there. I would say that Utah is more likely to get the deal done for a lot of reasons because they just have the salary to send and they have players that LA obviously wants. If that doesn't happen, I think the Lakers are at least certainly posturing that they're like, we're going to fix this essentially. Like Darvin Ham's going to fix this. Darvin Ham's going to get everybody on the, on the same page. The problem last year was Vogel and the Darvin Ham's going to come in. He's going to get Russell Westbrook to actually be a productive player on the, on the Lakers and fix these problems. No one believes it. No one thinks that that's, that's possible or likely. Um, but that's at least what they're projecting. So I don't know if, if the Rockets are going to have the time that they think they do to, to get to that point, right? Like they're going to have to make those decisions before then. Um, but ultimately, I think a lot of those guys will still have value in the market. And again, there will be, I think, times. Training camp is where you're going to first see the coaches be like, you know, you didn't get me this guy. I told you we need a backup center and we don't have one. So I'm going to need you to get me a backup center because it's really bad in camp. And that's where it's like, hey, what, what, what's Boban going to cost? And we just need a guy to play 10, 15 minutes um, and those types of things. So I think that those things are on the table. But I can't say necessarily the trade market isn't a great spot right now in large part because the KD stuff just messed everybody up. It just it just messed a whole lot of, of stuff up. And I do think that most teams right now are going to want to try and get through camp and into the season with the roster that they have, because as it is every year, everybody's like, yeah, I think we did pretty well. This is going to go pretty well. This is going to go good. I don't think anybody's like, oh boy, we screwed this up. No, nobody thinks that right now. It's going to wait. It's going to have to be a little bit before we get there. Right. It almost seems like the Rockets keep ending up in positions where like, okay, it looks like Christian Wood's going to be like the best available big on the market. And then suddenly the Pacers decide to blow it up and trade Sabonis. Okay, now it looks like Eric Gordon's going to be like the best available role player. Okay, now the Jazz are open for business, right? It's like the yeah. timing always seems to screw them. Right. Um, and, and for what it's worth, the the contracts as as of this current moment do not match up for for Westbrook. It would require a third team. But it is it is something I would I would still watch out for, like if t- a team just getting desperate. Um. So the last two players I wanted to ask about before we zoom out again are Jabari Smith and Tari Eason, because you did talk about Jabari. And while I don't see either of those two players becoming like superstar types, I think they both have the potential to be, become pretty high-end complementary pieces, especially Jabari. Uh, going into the draft, like how did you view Jabari like as a star prospect? You talked about how you know he was your number one guy on the board. And like what do you believe he and Easton can kind of provide to the Rockets like long term? I'll clarify. I don't have a number one guy on the board because I've stopped trying mm. to do draft prep. I just try and ask the smartest people that I know. Like a lot of times it's, it's not that I was like way off. It's just, I find it more valuable to, to try and ask people that I think are smart about the stuff, what they think. And Jabari popped up early as from the people I trust as in February, they were like, I think it's Jabari Smith's going to be an elite scorer and a high level defender in the NBA. And that right out of the box, he's going to be able to help teams. What's funny is I would have felt better about him on the Magic and I would have felt better about him on the Thunder. And that's not about how good Houston is relative to those teams. It's more about 
I'm really worried about KBJ Jalen Green as a backcourt. I don't, I don't think that that's a long-term thing. Uh, I think you have one of them. I don't think you can have both of them. And if you're going to choose, you're obviously going to choose Jalen. I, I think you do need somebody that can actually run run the offense. And I don't think KBJ is going to be that guy. And so with how Jabari plays, the most natural kind of fit for him is to operate heavily in pick and roll as a consistent pick and pop, short range to long range threat, um, catching the ball and then operating. If he's in an ISO and he's got a good matchup to be able to take advantage of that, like you could just punish teams with that. If it was Markel Fultz and Jabari Smith, that's really good. If it's Shea Gilgis Alexander and Markel and, and Jabari Smith, that's a killer combination. I'm a little bit more worried about Jalen Green, KPJ, and and Jabari. I'm just a little bit more worried about it based off of what I watched. Again, Jalen makes a big jump. This isn't a problem. Like Jalen makes the leap, and Jalen looks like a, a he's average. You know, the assist rate was so good after they finally cleared out Tice. Like it was so good that you're able to kind of get to the point where you're like, okay, there's there's some optimism here. I still have a lot of concerns about that fit. I do think, though, the big key here, and the same thing is true of Eason, Jabari brings a lot of physicality that I think they're going to miss. That that stood out to me at Summer League, was that defensively, he could be a really physical presence and really put the edge on. I think a lot of this is going to depend on how much, if they're able to capably get Jabari the ball and get him spots to attack, I think his physicality is going to translate to a really great season. I worry about him drifting and getting lost for stretches. If that's not the case, if I'm wrong on that, Houston's going to be pretty good. They're going to be much better than expected. And Jabari's going to be in contention for rookie of the year. Um, so that to me is the real question is, can the, it, it's not just on the guards. I don't want to make this just about KBJ and Jalen. It's on the offense. Again, we get back to Silas. If this team has, if this offense has structure, if they have purpose, if they know what, if they have spacing, then I think that this can work out really well. Based off of what I saw last year, I'm skeptical of that, and that makes me nervous for Jabari's season. Yeah, ironically, I actually believe the opposite of what you just said at the top. Like, I thought Houston was the best fit of the three because they're not asking him to do too much, right? Like, I'm concerned seriously about the shot creation for him. Like, in terms of, like, Mm -hmm. his long-term star upside, like, he just... Just watching him dribble in the summer league and getting ripped by, like, Paolo Bunko, yeah. I Yeah. That was really a low point for me. And it's like, I, you know, I, I knew that was going to be a concern from him, just watching him at the college level. But just watching him in the summer league, it's like, yeah, this is this is still... This might even be worse than I thought it was going to be. And I, I, I think, you know, with Houston, like, you know, you know that Jalen's your guy. Like, you know you, Jalen's the guy you give the ball to, right? And you know that Shangun could be your hub kind of guy. And all you have to do if you're Jabari is be that kind of catch and shoot guy and be a great defender and kind of be, you know, I know the comparison has been, been driven, driven to the ground, but like be Richard Lewis. Yeah. And if, if he's asked to be that, I like him. If he's asked to be like LaMarcus Aldridge, I'm not sure if I like him as much because I don't, that's a really high bar to clear. Yeah. Um, I, here's what I'd say. I look at summer league and if you'd ask me, is summer league a good environment for him? I would say no because it's so undisciplined and unorganized. Uh, I have some of the same concerns as you. I thought he drifted a lot. Like I have notes about the games I watched in some, in Vegas that were, I scribbled the words Marvin Williams and that's, yeah, yeah, that's concerning. Yeah. Right. I do think, though, that a lot of it is, can you build... If you put him into a structured offense... So, I'm trying to think of a good comparison here. Not Chris Paul is too high of a bar. Um, And Trey Young is an exceptionally high bar, but let's see you go ahead and use Trey Young. If you subbed out John Collins for Jabari Smith, could Jabari Smith do a decent decent John Collins impression? Yeah. Like, I I think he could genuinely work in that that aspect. Um, It may take him a while to get to the point where it's like he's triple... He's in triple threat position and scoring on his own. That may not come immediately. Like Jaron Jackson did not have a reliable set of offensive moves until this year. It took him several years. Jackson's obviously much bigger, but Jabari, I do think he could be used simply as a pure weapon. And that in that in the defense, and you have something. I just don't really trust the Rockets guards to be able to run the offense in a way that's going to be able to generate those looks for him. And so then it's like, all right, if Alperin Shangun is the hub. I like Alperin's big to big passing, but I don't like Alperin's big to big passing if Alperin is the bigger big. 
right? So that that that's where I think I, I get a little a little concerned. Again, the fit to me, and, and it's okay. Like we can, I I totally see where you're coming from on this, which is it's a low. Like his contributions have to be very pure. Hey, hit some hit some spot up shots, shots play good defense. Jalen's the guy. Again, though, if I don't think that Jalen should be the guy, or if I think that Jalen needs to be, if both, to me, here's a good example of this. Jalen and Jabari need a simple mechanism that they can go to and just run like, hey, we're just going to run pick and pop and kill these guys over and over and over again. We're just going to kill them in pick and pop because they're dropping and we've got space. We're just going to murder them with this. Is there enough structure in the offense? And does Jalen have the discipline to do that? Like, that's a concern for me. And that's that these are the kind of things that lead me to be in a little bit worried about these things. I want to go back to something I mentioned earlier. I mentioned Jalen's um, assist rate being better. It wasn't. Um, that was wrong by me. I think KBJ's was the one I was looking at that actually improved a little bit as the season went on. Um, Jalen's at per 36 stayed about 3.5, which was not high enough for me. So I need to go ahead and correct the thing I said earlier. Yeah. Um, I see what you're coming from. I, I, I just, you know, you, you, you're talking about him you know, offensively as kind of a secondary option. It's just, I kind of, I can't get the picture of him as a tertiary option out of my head. I just, I just, it's really, you know, he's, for me, I think he's going to have to make really significant strides before I put him in that kind of role mentally. Yeah. And I I think, again, I think that the big question here is, is how did he, how is he so productive and efficient in college? And it's college, right? But I do think it's like, okay, if we look at the offense was at least to a certain degree structured in terms of getting him the ball and opportunities, is he going to struggle at times with NBA defenses? Yeah, the NBA, the good defenses will tear him up. You know, they tore up, they tore up Cade. So he'll still have those issues. I get the idea that he might be a third or a fourth weapon. And maybe that's true. Like that may be wind up being the guy, which again, the long-term view of this may just be, hey, the Rockets wind up getting the second overall pick again. They get Scoot Henderson, and then it's Scoot and Jalen as a, as a secondary creator and scorer, and then Alperin can and Alperin and, and Smith can play off of Scoot Henderson, and this all starts to make sense. Like in a year, this may all make sense with the addition of like one guy. It's this season that I think I have a lot of concerns about. I don't feel like Jabari Smith is in a good position to help out Jalen Green or KPJ or Alperin Shingoon. And I don't feel like those guys are in a good position to help out Jabari Smith, which is why I think I have some concerns. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, this team is so young. I I keep thinking about it. It's like, you you almost forget like that their point guard is like 23 years old and, and they're asking him to basically orchestrate all this. And that's just an impossible ask. And before we, before we go, I I do want to zoom out and ask you some big, big picture questions because we basically discussed all the big decisions that the Rockets have made so far and all the ones that they have pending. Over the past two seasons, how do you rate Stone's job performance? And like from your perspective, how does he differ, if at all, from his predecessor and like Daryl Morey? I don't know enough to answer. I'll say that. I, I genuinely haven't talked to, to Stone enough um, at all. I've never, I haven't, I haven't met him. Um, cause I never got to, I had a chance when I was in Houston. And so I don't have a relationship enough to kind of dictate or to, to give a lot of insight on it. Uh, I'll say this, that the impression I've gotten from people around the league is that there's a lot of confidence that he's smart and going to do a very good job. When I ask about Houston, the concerns are always Tillman and a little bit of, from a scout level on silas uh most executives are very high on silas they're like he'll figure it out he's been in league he's he knows he'll he'll figure this out on the scouting side team guys are much more like boy i don't know what they were doing i don't know what they were doing last year or the year before that so there's a lot more concern on that end a lot of the conversation does start with tillman but there's always look there continues to be a, a lot of confidence in houston's front office as the infrastructure was there also like there's just a there's a pre-existing cultural organization that Maury helped build that hasn't been dismantled. And so Stone's doing it his way, but it doesn't feel like there is like the good processes have gone away. I haven't heard a lot of 
the people there feel more like lost or frustrated or miscommunication. It feels like everybody's on the same page. And that to me is the bigger thing when you're talking about front offices. Yeah, I I would agree. Like, it's not like, um, it's not like someone's coming in completely turning everything upside down. It seems like, you know, I mean, this is a guy that's been with the organization since 2005, actually predating Maury. Maury came in in 2006. So, you know, he, he has a lot of that institutional knowledge. And I, I think, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if I'd say, you know, like Daryl is just a, such a, such a high bar to clear, right? He's one of the best mm-hmm. GMs in basketball. I, I, I don't think that's fair, but is he, you know, on the Justin Xanax tier? Like, I don't think that's, I don't think that's crazy to say. I think he's no. done a pretty good job. You know, I yeah. think he's a lot of this is just like a lot of these players just have to pan out and we have to give it time. He didn't. And, I, I like that. He didn't go out and try and add a big piece in free agency and overpay. Uh, I don't know how many options he had. I don't, he didn't, he hasn't made a lot of moves. This team isn't without veterans. Like there are veterans that are present, but I also, you got to have the right veterans is also a big key part of that too. I don't feel like they're completely lost. Again, I, I don't look at them and go, there are teams that you definitely go like, man, they need a vet. Like they just need somebody to, to be a vet for them. I think on the court, a point guard would help. You know, if they, if they were starting Gordon at point, I would just feel a lot better about their, about everything. Um, but I think he's been patient. The asset management is very good. Obviously the net situation has turned in their favor. I think even with, them not trading KD and, and Kyrie yet that that long-term looks like that's going to pay out pretty well. They'll be well set up. It's just a matter of navigating through. And, and you see this a lot where teams will rebuild. It's not like everybody starts to rebuild and you're like, wow, they just like have, you can definitely see like in three years, they're going to be a problem. I don't think Houston's there, but a lot of times teams look lost and then they find their guy and then they come out of it and it's like, Oh, okay. They've been building for a while. They have those pieces. I think Houston's in a really good spot long-term. I do think that they need to figure out some very key questions, and they're going to be tough, but they have a lot of paths to answer those questions, which I think is what you need. So you mentioned Steven Salas a couple of times throughout this podcast, and I I really wanted to avoid it because I did, did save this last part because I wanted to talk about him. So the Rockets have posted the worst record in basketball for two consecutive seasons. And while it's expected that they would be bad, some of the decisions they've made with the rotation and offense have been kind of head-scratching. You mentioned you know, talking to scouts and getting that kind of feeling. I think this is kind of an important year for Silas. I don't think it's he's on the proverbial hot seat or anything crazy like that, but there's just no way he has any long-term staying power if the Rockets go out there and have the worst record in basketball for the third consecutive year. Like That's like really hard to do. It's like you're talking Charlotte Bobcats bad at that point. And in my opinion, the Rockets have to show at least some, like a small degree of pro- progression next year. Like it doesn't have to be like, okay, they're like a, a 45 win team, but like, can they get to like 27, 30? Like, I, I, I don't think that's a, a high bar to clear. Um, because you're also, you also have to remember that they have these outstanding picks to Oklahoma city coming up. And you don't want those picks to be top of the draft territory. Like you have to get continuously better. Like, yeah. am I overstating that kind of urgency? No, I don't think so. I think the reason you're not overstating it is because they don't have the guy. If you think Jalen Green's a guy, then I think maybe you could be a little bit more patient and be like, hey, look, no matter what, we know that we've got a franchise cornerstone. If you have that opinion now, then you shouldn't feel any pressure right now because you got your guy and he's going to work out. If you don't, though, it's like, okay, are we just spinning our wheels? Like, are we, you know, we're picking up talented players that may not be guys that are going to be the guy that are going to take us where we want to go. How's that going to, how do we get there? How do we get a direction? How do we get a a foundation to the building that we want to construct? So I think that that's, part of that equation i think there does wind up being a oh you know they're young they're gonna get better not every young player works out not every young player turns into a star the sacramento kings have had great picks every year for two decades and it has not turned into anything but misery and they're the rockets are, are better run and you I don't know that I would say like, is Jalen green a better prospect than Boogie cousins was at his age. Right. I don't, 
think you could say that. So there's all these types of things that you have to factor in. I think that there's a lot that they've got to figure out. Um, I go back and I watch these teams like Houston at this part in the season, in part because late in the year, I'm trying to focus on the playoff race and the teams that are competing. I will say that what they remind me a lot of when I watched that team on tape was the Suns before Monty Williams came over, which is every year I watch the Suns and be like, there's talent here. Like these guys, like Devin Booker's a really good passer. There's real talent here, but nobody knows what they're supposed to be doing. There's no structure. There's no discipline. There's no organization. The Spurs have significantly less talent a lot of times than the opposing team, but the Spurs always know what they're doing. The Thunder are like this too. Like the Thunder lost by 70 or whatever to the Grizzlies last year, but night to night, the Thunder operate as a professional basketball team with a structure and that they know what they're doing. That's got to show this year. If that does not show itself, you have real problems. You need to look like you know, like at least that you've figured out a way to make the pieces fit enough to where it makes sense, where you're not like, what are you guys doing? Does anybody have any idea what they're doing here? At the, that preparedness and, and construct and structure, especially on the offensive side, I think needs to show this year or there's got to be change. Yeah, I, I think, and I get so like uncomfortable talking about coaches this way because I yeah. know how hard the job is and like, it's it, it's a job. Like I don't I don't want when when the head coach goes, it's not just him. It's like there's like four other assistant coaches that are probably going to be replaced. Like that's it. That's really tough to talk about those guys as kind of disposable pieces. But like, like I mean, you've covered the NBA for a long time. You know how this goes. Like when you can only lose for so long and I get so much rope. And it, it, I just have a feeling that this thing is gonna. If this thing doesn't turn around at least a little bit, like it, it could go sideways. And it's one of those things where um, you don't need, again, you don't need crazy jumps. You just need something that shows that you're headed in the right direction. And you just need some organization. And I thought, you know, you, you made a great point about Oklahoma City. Like Mark Dagno, like, you know, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. He, he, he comes off to me as someone who, like, really, really knows how to structure an offense, right? And knows his personnel. When I watched the Rockets last year, it's like, again, like we talked earlier in this podcast about how it seemed like Shangun was putting was being put in like the worst possible positions possible. Well, like that was Silas pulling the trigger, right? And it, I, you can only change head coaches on like a star player so many times. So if you believe like the star player, the guy is on the Rockets roster. If you believe Jalen Green's the guy, or if you believe J- Shangun the guy, whoever, if you believe that guy exists on the Rockets roster, you can only change coaches on him so much before they grow disgruntled. So you want to be very careful when you make that first coaching change. But I think at the way things are going, I would not be too excited about extending him beyond this second, this this first contract. Yeah, I think you have to be real cautious with it. I think there's got to be um, apprehension. Again, you talk about like not wanting to talk about coaches this way. I, I try not to. I think it's a brutal, brutal uh, profession. It takes years off of guys' lives. It causes health issues. It's more about decision-making than it is about anything else. It, it's more about being a CEO and, and having those types of things. Everyone judges it based off of, did you make this timeout call? Did you, how was your inbounds play? Did you put this player in that I want you to play more? That's how we judge them. But making a coach is about, being a coach is about a million decisions. Uh, You're Frank saying Bogle, it's like being a fire, fire pilot, right? Like oh making gosh. a million decisions. Oh, God. Um, oh no, that that. <laughs> is um, so yeah, like I think that there's. I think it's an interesting question, though. Of do you need innovation or do you need structure? And those questions are are difficult ones sometimes to translate. I think you look at Charlotte, James Borrego's on-court performance, I thought was really good. He had good defensive versatility in his schemes. He structured offenses a good way. He put LaMelo Ball in good positions. The team was better than it should have been based off of expectations, both in the market and otherwise. But there was clearly a lot of issues in the backside in terms of the locker room and the idea of that, the locker room not be in the way that it needed to be run. You bring in Steve Clifford, who's a guy that things will, will get run right. So I think those decisions are tough. This is a make or break it year. If Silas comes out though, and they look like they have structure and it works and it comes together, 
even if their offense is pretty bad, if the defense makes a big jump, if they do win 27 to 30 games, that's like, all right, you know what? They hung in there. Like they were, they looked like they knew what they were doing. That's enough to be like, you're heading in the right direction. They'll figure it out. The bar is low here, but it's got to get cleared. Yeah, and for what it's worth, like whenever whenever I talk to Steven Salas, he's a super bright guy. Nick, every everybody I'm sure that you've talked to have probably said the same thing. Like, really smart guy, really fun guy, really like everybody likes him, like really likable guy. And I do think he deserves a job in the NBA. It's not like he's this like like it's different when when it's like someone like Sam Mitchell, right? Where it's like this curmudgeon guy who like can't get out of his own way, hates young players, and it's really like stagnating the rebuild. I don't think Silas is that guy. But they do need some structure, as you mentioned. And I'm not sure if he's that, you know, in, in the same vein. I'm not sure if he's the guy to give him that structure. Yeah, I think that's the, the biggest thing is just he I don't want to say he can't be, you know. And look, they had intentions to tank. That's got to be factored in. Like the intentions for the team to be bad had to be factored in, but these other teams, the Spurs will tank this year with what I think is just an absolutely like her horrifying roster. I think it by, especially after they trade Jakob Pertle and some other pieces, like their roster is going to be like, Oh my God, they will still look like they know what they're doing, that they're coached. Well, that they're sharp, that they're prepared to play, that they do the things that you should do. These are the type of things I think that you really have to instill. I'm not saying that the players aren't complicit in some of that. Cause I think they are. I think you have a, a rare... Con- I think Silas would do... Here's part of it. Silas was hired to coach a good team. I think Silas probably would have been really good coaching a good team. I think this is maybe not the team that he need that is best suited for where he's going to succeed because of how young they are, because of how inexperienced they are, and because of how wild they are. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Matt. I, I'm really glad you took an hour and 10 minutes out of your day to do this. Uh, where can we follow you on social media and, and read your read slash listen to your work? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at HP Basketball. Best way to catch my work is download the Action Network app. It's a great app for consuming sports content. If you're into betting, even better, as they'll be coming to Texas, I'm sure, I'm sure soon here in the next couple of years. So download the Action Network app and you can catch me on Twitter at HP Basketball. Thanks for having me.